What a beautiful day. What beautiful kids, too. If you're a parent of a kid, give yourself a pat on the back. You did, did a good job, and it's good to see all of them here today. I might mention that I want to do something a little bit different today. I think it's really important to mix things up a little bit. And so instead of uh, the, maybe the normal kind of uh, message that I might share with you, I'm going to do something a little bit different, and, and it's going to be kind of like taking several pearls and stringing them together. And each one of these pearls will be a story or a vignette about God's provision and how God provides for his people in all kinds of ways. I want us to first look at a passage that talks about God's provision, and then we're going to spend some time in that passage in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. And I would invite you to follow along with me as I read, either in your pew Bibles, uh, in your Bibles if you brought them, or on the screen. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. May God add his blessing his understanding, and also his application upon this, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. If you would, please join me now in prayer. God, we're grateful for the privilege of being here today, grateful for the privilege of singing, of praying, 
We're grateful for the vitality of, of children in our midst. And God, now we pray that as we string this, these pearls together, as we think about your provision in so many ways, we pray that you would open our eyes in new and fresh ways to see what you are doing and help us to know how you are inviting us to obediently be a part of that. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. First pearl that we're going to put on this necklace is the story of Abraham's testing. How would you like to have the name Father of Multitudes, which is what the name Abraham meant, and be childless? I mean, that was a heavy burden to bear. Uh, and it got even more difficult as Abraham got older. With that name, God had promised Abraham that his family would be a great nation. Not only would it be a great nation, but it would, it would conquer other nations, it would be a blessing to other nations, and they would be as plentiful as the stars in the heavens. That was the promise that Abraham had been given. And then when Abraham was 100 years old, finally, God gave him a son, Isaac. Talk about a miraculous provision. Somehow I picture Abraham spending every spare moment with him. You know, he's making up for lost time. All of those things that he would have liked to have done earlier, now he's doing with his son. And then came the ominous day when God put Abraham's love for and faith in him to the test. God calls Abram, Abraham by name. And like such other great Old Testament characters as Moses and Samuel, Abraham simply says, here I am. God then speaks difficult words, which would have been devastating to hear. Can you imagine how you would have felt or I would have felt if we were asked to do this? He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a bird offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Can you imagine the shock and the sense of overwhelming grief Abraham must have felt when he heard those words? Oh, the Canaanites all around them made a practice of child sacrifice, but God had never asked any of them to do that. And if he sacrificed his son, how would his promise ever be kept? Yet being a man of faith and believing that God's ways were higher than his ways, we are told that early the next morning, Abraham made the necessary preparations to obediently make that three-day journey. Now, notice we're told that he didn't talk to Sarah about it. He probably knew that if he mentioned it to Sarah, that she would try to talk him out of it, and it would have been an all-out struggle, to be sure. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up from his deep thought and saw the hill where they were to make their offering. He left the servants and the donkey. He put the wood for the offering on the back of his son and carried with him the coals of fire and the knife which was needed for the offering. From the very beginning, Isaac, probably being a teenager, most scholars would say, realized that there was something different than the other times that he had traveled with his father. His father had been very serious 
His father had been preoccupied. And finally, as they were climbing up the hill, Isaac broke the somber silence with the question, we've got the fire and we've got the wood, but where's the lamb who's going to be the bird offering? With a forced kind of smile, and I believe tears streaming down his cheeks, Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then they continue to the top. With the help of his son, Abraham builds the altar out of rocks, and then he carefully places the wood in its designated place like he'd done so many times before. But then comes a tough spot. We're told that he tied up his son. And can you imagine how incredulous Isaac must have been? I mean, he was a teenager. He could have escaped easily, but because of his love for his father, he was compliant, and he allowed himself to be tied and then tenderly placed on the altar. There's no question that this was one of the most dreaded moments he could ever think of. And then came the time when he lifts the knife. He has the knife ready to plunge it into his only son, the son whom he loved more than life itself for him. When suddenly from heaven, an angel speaks, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham responds, here I am. And quickly the angel tells him that he has passed the test. There's no question that he fears and loves God more than all else. Abraham hears a commotion in the bushes, and it's a ram who is caught by its horns. He quickly unties and embraces his son Isaac, and I can see them weeping together. And then he takes the ram, and he offers it to God, the God who has provided, and he names the place, the Lord will provide. It's at this moment of supreme celebration, if you go a little bit further in the passage, that God renews a covenant with him. So you have passed the test, and here's the covenant, he says. You are going to be, and again, he says, your, your offspring is going to be greater than not only the heavens, the stars of the heavens, but also the sands of the seashore. And they will overtake their enemies, and they will be a blessing to all nations. The first pearl, Abraham's tested, and the Lord provides. The second pearl that we want to string, the story of Jesus, the Lamb of God. When we fast forward several hundred years to the first century A.D., we see God doing something that he didn't require Abraham to do. The holy, righteous creator of all that is was willing to break through human history and come to our earth in Jesus Christ in the form of a human being. Like Isaac and Abraham, Jesus is God's son, his only son whom he loved. We believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, presenting the ultimate paradigm for how life is meant to be lived for us. His words and his life were in stark contrast to the religious leaders of his day. He made them feel very uncomfortable. They were jealous because his popularity was raising continually with the people. And believing that he threatened their very way of life, they had to get rid of him. And we know the story of how Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, a lamb was slain 
and offered to bring the atonement for the sins of the people. It was a means by which they could be reconciled with that holy, righteous God, a holy, righteous God who was repulsed, who abhorred their sin. Did you know that when Jesus climbed that hill of Golgotha, most scholars would say that it was almost the very same place where Abraham was tested and where Abraham and Isaac climbed a hill too. Have you thought about the fact that uh, the wood was placed on God's son's back too? The wood, the cross, and he carried it to the top, again to that very same area. The difference is that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God did not spare his own son. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was God's ultimate sacrifice, his ultimate provision for our sins and for our future. Just as was true for Abraham, the provision is not forced on us. We must respond to God's gracious gift of forgiveness and eternal life. If God was willing to go to that extent to show us how much he passionately desires to be in a relationship with each one of us, how much more important it is for us to respond. He won't force himself on us. We must respond in faith by simply receiving the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation. Indwelt by God's Holy Spirit, we then begin a lifelong journey with our awesome Creator God. In this second pearl, the story of Jesus coming as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, in the ultimate way, we see God providing. The Lord will provide. The third story is a person to whom I've alluded several times. It's a story of a young woman named Hermione Loco. I met Hermione, as I've mentioned in the past, in July of 2003 in Accra, Ghana, which is in West Africa. She was then 18 years old and is the only child of her mother, Pearl, who was always a single parent. And little did I know that what God had in store for her and what God had in store for us when that evening I asked her the question as we were sitting at dinner in the mission house, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Very focused, Hermione responded that she was going to become a doctor and she would come back to that very place where we were serving those two weeks. And as we talked about where she would receive her education, she said, well, I don't have any choices. It'll be here in Ghana. And I said, how would you like to come to the United States? She said that would be nice, but that she and her mother could not afford it. That's where the miracle begins. First, her mother, because of her great love for her daughter, whom she loved, her only daughter, her only child, allowed her to transfix the ocean and come over and come to the United States. That was a sacrifice which began in December of 2003. Betsy was a woman who was on that mission trip with us, a woman from our church. She sacrificed to pay 
Hermione's airfare and expenses during the first few weeks. Then Ronnie and Tracy made their home open for her and still are supporting her to this day, treating her like their very daughter. Tracy even sacrificed enough to start her own business to be able to support Hermione's college education at IUPUI, where she was an international student and thus it cost her for tuition alone 28,000 a year. Jim, an area car dealer, provided a good car for her for three and a half years while she was going to school. He paid for all the maintenance, everything that needed to be done. People gave sacrificially in all kinds of ways so that even though she didn't have the first cent when she arrived and nothing came out of a church budget, when she graduated from college, we had $34,000 in the bank. It was God providing in a marvelous way that was a faith lift to all of us. Hermione joined our church. She became involved. She worked with our junior high group. She was with them on Friday nights when they met as well as she went on mission trips with them and went to camp with them. She was employed at IUPUI as a mentor and then she became a mentor to the mentors in the School of Science. And one of the things that she did it wasn't even up for question. It was pure obedience on her part. Every cent that she made there, she insisted on tithing. It was the way she knew, and it was such an instructive thing to all of us. And it was out of gratitude for the way that God provides. Again, not knowing where the money would come from, I took her muni to Boston to interview at the Harvard Medical School from which she graduated on the 24th of May. In the middle of her four years at HMS, she strongly felt about that she needed to apply for the Kennedy School, Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, and uh, there receive a Master's of Public Policy degree so that she could even do a better job when she went home to Ghana. There was no money, of course, but what she didn't know is that they each year gave a full scholarship to one of the 70 students. They didn't tell anyone ahead of time, and she was the one who was selected. She was, God provided for her muni each step of the way, even to the point of getting her first choice in residencies, Massachusetts General Hospital, where she will spend the next four years. I was moved as I saw her muni step up to the platform at her graduation just a few weeks ago, and she was the one who welcomed all of us, and she was also the one who had several other parts in the graduation ceremony. As I thought and saw her up there and heard her talking, I reminisced on how God was faithful, had honored her sacrifice and the sacrifice of so many others, and he provided for her above and beyond what we could have ever imagined. In this third pearl, the story of Hermione Loco, God has and continues to provide in a manner beyond our wildest dreams. The fourth particular pearl that I would like for us to look at today happened right here this last year, as God has provided for us. But at this time, I'd like to ask Bob Beerwagon who's the president of the corporation, the chair of our finance team here at ZPC, and he's going to tell us about how God has provided for us in the past 
and by God's grace, how he will provide for us in the future. Bob? There we go. Um, I am finance chair, by the way, as opposed to what it says in the bulletin. So if you can go to the next slide. Mark, if you're in the room, uh, your job is secure. That's not me. This is our finance team. For those of you that may not know uh, who's involved in finance here at ZPC, Mark Amon, who is in fact treasurer, uh, Sarah Halstad, who you probably know from the office, who's our controller, Don, that uh, should be Patterson, apologize, Don, I didn't see the typo, our executive director, Steve Pierce, uh, and Tim Fisher, our uh, at-large members from the congregation, Kevin Schmidt, who's the elder and chair in succession, and uh, myself as session member and chair. And uh, this will be my last year on finance and on session as I rotate off uh, in 2013. If we can get that next slide, please. I want to give you a quick update. Uh, we're still in the process of closing uh, the books for the year end. It'll probably be the end of uh, June before we have them fully. But we are able at this point to uh, report on what our giving was. And as Jim said, in a, in a year of great change in this congregation, uh, God certainly has provided. Uh, if you watch the bulletin each week, uh, you know we were not quite at what we had budgeted. In fact, we're somewhat below that budget. But our operating gifts were in excess of $2 million, actually $2,142,000. Uh, and that's just to a category called operations giving. That doesn't talk about designated, which I'll come to in a second. We have set the budget uh, for the upcoming fiscal year, which started June 1st. And it is a little less than last year. But uh, we are stepping out in faith and uh, trusting God that he will provide as he has this year. So it's, uh, again, about 2-3% lower than last year's budget, but probably about 12.5% higher than what the actual giving was this year. Session and finance team have prayed over this, and, and we feel this is a reasonable number, uh, particularly in light of some of the changes that took place last year. If we can go to the next slide, please. As I mentioned, uh, we have multiple categories that we track in uh, that we receive funding in. One of those is designated giving, and this is giving to things like mission trips and mission travel and uh, community assistance and food bank. And that number was really significant, and this is, this is a huge number and something we're very grateful for. Uh, over $350,000 that came in for designated programs, which is 184% of the budget that we had for the year, so we're very grateful for that. Our operations continue to be extremely well managed by Don and the staff. Our credit line closed the year at zero again. And our cash flow after the roof, uh, and you've seen the multiple roofing projects we've had underway, was really pretty close to break even for the year. So we're very grateful that God has provided. Uh, we know he wants to do more, but uh, he certainly has provided through this year. We will end the year with uh, 46000 in a cash reserve balance. We actually added $100,000 in addition to the 100000 that we ended last year with. But with the roofing projects, we've used uh, about 154,000. Uh, it's, it's a very large roof out there if you've looked at it. So, uh, but hopefully in the next windstorm, we won't see the shingles doing this, uh, as several of you reported. So, um, but we will carry over 46,000. Our mission funding uh, will also carry over 15,000 into this next fiscal year from this current year. And uh, we've... Uh, set a goal to uh, bring some of that money forward so that Mission has got some ability to do some uh, one-time and unique things uh, and kind of build that balance up as we go forward. We did reduce our mortgage balances by about 65,000. 
leaves us a bit over a million dollars uh, in total mortgages uh, in debt service for uh, this facility. And again, our staff manage expenses to giving levels, but uh, we need a little breathing room as uh, we have only a small amount of buffer left going into the year. We can go to the next slide, please. So what are our budget highlights? Again, total receipts budget is about 2.6 million. Uh, the budget, again, includes uh, a 12% increase in ops giving, and this is a, a bit of a face stretch, but uh, we know where we've been in the past in this, uh, in this congregation. We believe this is certainly achievable that, that uh, God can help us get to this point. This year, we will be adjusted for full staff year expense. Some of the new hires that we had as worship director, uh, uh, Jim coming on board, were partial year expenses. It does include approximately 70000 of mortgage reduction. Uh, it includes 520000 in mission support dollars. It assumes basically, again, a break-even at year-end. Uh, we have in the past and will this year produce what's called a narrative budget, which will give more detail on some of the categories that we give to. That should be uh, ready somewhere toward the end of this month. Uh, and part of that, again, will be an opportunity catalog, which is a prioritized list for funding if we do exceed the budget. So God has been faithful, but uh, the session and uh, the finance team really feel that uh, as he was uh, in Jim's stories, he's calling us to take that next step once again. So uh, our budget is, is designed to reflect that. I can go to that last slide, please. Next slide, I should say. So some of you may want to know, where, where is it that our money goes to? Um, this is a quick breakdown. As you can see, staff, uh, all the benefits, payroll is a little over 50%. Our missions is roughly 20%. The facilities, uh, supply and office and maintenance takes up another 23% or so. Uh, and then we've got programs and general assembly tax, which is what we pay to PCUSA. Uh, the programs number does not include designated giving, which again is significant. So if we were to add that in, that would grow. But as you can see from this, most of our expenses are in fact fixed. We don't have a lot of variable expense. And you know from your own budgets what it takes to uh, make the, the fixed payments that come in every month. We have that same scenario. So. When we put the numbers out there uh, on a weekly basis, they're adjusted for historical giving patterns. But keep in mind that uh, what you see coming in are pretty much fixed expenses, not a lot of room to move. So we're, uh, we're grateful to God, but we are trusting him that he will provide so that we can continue to uh, grow and do the things and be involved with the many missions that take place out of this uh, facility. And they are a myriad. Uh, we've got a couple mission trips that are going out, great banquets. Um, MOPs, uh, the programs just go on and on. If you've been around this building, you know it's used pretty much seven by 24. We're very grateful for that. We're very grateful to you and God's provision through you, the ZPC family. Uh, there will be a question and answer period if you want more information or want more detail in the chapel after each service. So uh, if that's of interest, I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you, Jim. Again, during a season of transition and change, God has provided in a special way. I'd like to string one more pearl, and this is the final story of God providing. It took place at the First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, where I served for 18 months up until last July. Not unlike this church, it was a church that was well-educated. In fact, they kind of prided themselves in the fact that they had 275 lawyers in their 3,000-plus member church. I don't know if that's something to celebrate or not, but if you're a lawyer, it is. During the first few weeks of my time there, we adopted a budget which they'd already worked on, and uh, that, uh, that budget uh, meant that there would 
that the expenses would exceed the income by $205,000, which we agreed could only happen for one year. We were in a season of transition, with many people upset with the last pastor who had suddenly left after only four years. In the first few months of the year, the financial picture was even more dismal than projected. In fact, there was a time when it looked like at the end of the year they were projecting that we would have as high as a $500,000 deficit. Since the Church was committed to giving 25 percent of its income to missions, we prepared what seemed like massive staff cuts, like the ones that were happening across the nation in the Presbyterian Church. In the attempt to be prepared, we even had three different scenarios about what kind of cuts we would make for the budget of 2011. As we prepared for the fall, as a leadership team and a session, we felt God saying that we needed to let the people know exactly where we were and then to preach a series of messages on the joy of giving. We emphasized that everything that we have comes from God, that we give of the first fruits and not the leftovers, that we are to give a tithe or 10 percent, even though at times it seems difficult, and that God calls us to be willing to sacrifice just as people of old and through the centuries have obediently sacrificed. Our purpose was not to motivate by guilt, but to give people the experience of having a joy in being invested in what God was doing in our midst. And away far beyond any of our doing, God lifted our faith as a people, as the people gave sacrificially in many cases. When it was all said and done, we all felt like the Lord had provided. When the books were closed for 2010, instead of having as much as a $500,000 deficit, we had a surplus of $293,000. God had provided in ways beyond our dreams. And in gratitude for God, the session said 75% of that surplus will go to missions and the other 25% will go to new ministries. Furthermore, as people made their commitments for 2011, not only were we able to keep all of our employees, but we were able to give them modest raises, which they hadn't had for a long time. The wonder and beauty of all of it was that people felt a great sense of joy. They felt a sense of investment in something far bigger than any one of us could have done. It was God tangibly providing in a way that our culture gives value, dollars and cents. Oh, dear friends, in this season of transition, in this season of uncertainty, I believe that God is calling each one of us to be willing to sacrifice, to be joyfully invested in what God is doing here in this great church, CPC. He's already doing great things, and I believe that there are some very special things on the horizon that He wants to do. We're going to see God at work in our midst way above and beyond what we could ever think or ask. I would challenge each one of us to prayerfully consider how God might be calling us to sacrificially do what He was willing to do and see what He wants to do through ZPC. Each one of us needs to ask the question, what does that look like for me? If there are those of you who would like to pray with someone after the service is completed, either about what we've talked about today 
or maybe a praise or a concern that you brought with you when you entered today. There will be members of our prayer team over in the alcove by the cross after we're finished, and they would consider it a privilege first to listen and then to pray with you. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the way that you have provided. As we think of Abraham, as we think of Jesus, as we think of the many ways that you have provided for each one of us individually, as well as a church, we are so grateful. And God, help us as we consider that, to consider what you might be asking each one of us to do, not out of guilt, but out of joy, that we might be a part of what you're doing in your kingdom in this place here. Thank you, God, for this chance to share together today. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.